So here we are, Craig, myself, and Kristen to another conversation on reframing yoga. Hi, Craig. Hi, Kristen. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Excellent. So what are we talking about today, Craig? Well, we're bringing Kristen into the fold. And uh, she has a quite interesting background, not only uh, a partner of mine at Kaya Yoga Boulder, um, an acupuncturist, and the person that allowed me to change my life by asking me to start Kaya Yoga Boulder. So, <laughs> excellent. That's sweet. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> What is this Kayutoka Boulder, by the way? <laughs> Gosh, if you don't know already, Francisco, it's your um, it's the 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 best Kayut studio in the world. <laughs> I, I've heard something through the grapevine. <laughs> so all, um, all the comments were great, though. So. <laughs> um, so I thought it'd be an interesting conversation to use some of Kristen's expertise and knowledge in the sort of body worker realm and the Eastern sort of philosophies of, of health and medicine and, and how they might intersect with the Cayute method. Um, Kristen, anything you just want to put out right off the get-go? Any things come to mind that just seem seem relevant in that regard? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we should just get at it, right? So, um, you guys, I have to say this uh, this podcast has been really fun for me to listen to. Um, you've had really interesting guests, and maybe some things that we'll circle back to. Um, but I, I love thinking about this yoga thing, Francisco, that, um, you've shared with us as a way that we can do body work on ourselves. Um, there's kind of a couple things that kind of stick out to me when, when I say that, you know, we've known each other for a very long time and we, we kind of touched on this in a casual conversation that we were having last week. But um, when I first came to the Cayute practice, man, I was in some bad shape. I had this crazy back pain. I had two young kids. Um, <laughs> I remember that back pain. I do remember <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and at the time, before I knew you, I was seeing a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, and even a visceral therapist, and just trying to kind of work what was going on in my own body from all these different directions um, to see if I could get some relief. I think I have a pretty high pain tolerance, and I would probably have labeled this at about a seven out of 10. It was pretty intense for me. Um, and then, you know, a friend of mine told me about you know, there is this yoga guy and he's going to be in Boulder. <laughs> right. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm desperate. I'll try anything at this point. 
who did suggest my classes to you? I think it was Michelle, Michelle Anderson. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a long time ago. And um, I was like, okay, well, I'll go check it out. I'll, I'll, I'll try one class, you know? And so here I come, the studio is packed. Um, I invited two friends and I was like, oh, you're gonna love this Cayute stuff. It's, you know, because Michelle and, and um, Dee at the time, they were kind of teaching a little variation kind of thing. And it was very chill, very relaxing. And um, I was, so I encouraged my friend to come from Florida, my friend from Broomfield to come. And we all, we all went to this together. I remember that, I remember that girlfriend of yours from Florida. I do remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one from the visceral manipulation field. Yeah. Yeah. She still practices. Yeah. She still practices with us. Yeah. So anyways, so, you know, my description of it was like, you know, it's very relaxing. It's going to be a great yoga retreat. Let's just kind of dabble in a few classes, man. At that time, the way that I was hearing the work at that time, I mean, it was intense and um, did a class and after the first class, you know, I, I definitely felt something and I was like, okay, this is worth it. I'm just gonna kind of go with it, do as many classes as I can while this guy's in town. He's gonna be here for a week or two. So at that time, Craig, he was teaching three classes a day. I just signed up for every single one called all my friends, got the childcare set up. And at the end of that week, I would say I probably went um, from a seven out of 10 in terms of pain down to about a three out of 10. And I was like, okay, that's, that's okay. But that was pretty much the change that I was getting like had I had a body work session. But this was the standout point, Craig, is that, um, that three out of 10, it lasted for five months with, mm -hmm. with all the different body work I was getting. And, you know, some of the top body workers in Boulder, my relief would, was about, would last maybe seven days, maybe. And so that was pretty outstanding to me. And then I, and then I came back, um, when Francisco was back in town again, and I, again, signed up for every single class, traveled in my van to Paonia or Hotchkiss. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, camped out there. And literally from that second time that I saw Francisco, as long as I am with my practice, consistent, um, I, can, I can feel traces of the pattern for sure but I do not have the pain. You would not look at my gait and, and see the pain that I was in or any of that. And so um, that's kind of what changed my life, Craig, is that from that moment on, I was like, what is this Cayute yoga stuff? And um, how can I bring it into my acupuncture practice? Like I've always been a person in my practice where sharing the best of the best and wanting to share something that people wouldn't have to rely on me over time. So. Yeah, that, that's a, 
culturally, that's an interesting one because we're sort of trained to sort of give ownership of our issues and problems to, you know, experts in a, in a sense, right? And yeah, and this, sorry to, to interrupt you, Craig, but this is because I, I was working exactly on that right now before when you reminded me that it was time for this conversation. Uh, I was working because we have to schedule a call. Some of you didn't present your homeworks yet, Craig and Darwin, <laughs> by the way, uh, but some did, like Kristen, thank you. <laughs> your end. Uh, so I, I, I'm working on everything we will be sharing with our students this year and why <laughs> I wrote it down it's in my it's in my to do's I just needed to get here <laughs> uh, so we can do an amazing job at that. Delivering fantastic results, lots of education. And our students, they will want to be with us. Because nothing under any circumstances will substitute the quality of the relationship we can have with our teachers. Uh, you can have an amazing practice, you can be super consistent, and you can be achieving all the goals you have for your practices nowadays, and the two of you are very consistent. So, Craig has a constant reminder. His tech job just comes to his back saying, hey, Craig, let's do yoga. You need it. Because I need you here tomorrow. So come back to your math, please. Take a break now. And Kristen just had this recent situation. And, uh, and I was telling her, yeah, you know, go back. I just, I did say something that was enough for her to engage with the practice exactly in the most productive manner. She would be struggling. She would be in conflict. She would be over demanding herself. She would be trying to speed up and to, I don't know, recover the time mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. But instead, I just gave her the freedom to take the baby steps, but in the right direction. The, in, in that particular situation, the baby steps were, and they still are, the actual shortcut into the previous condition of her practice. So that type of uh, external perspective that might create a quite reliable ramp up in our processes, you just can't substitute. So the value of that connection with a teacher, and this is why you have a studio, because from what Kristen just said, like we want to give them tools for them to be eventually not codependent on anyone but the teacher-student relationship does not imply codependency it's something else and in a sense is the base of all social development and evolution we've been seeing so it, it i think it's quite impressive and um 
and our students, they do want that. They want to be independent, but once they understand the, I don't know if you have this word, this vastitude of the content and the, and the value of this external sort of coaching process, they, they value, they really value the independency, but they also acknowledge and they value the relationship with the teachers they choose. So I think that is so unique and it's so unique to us in a sense, because we, we really have a lot. And uh, thinking about the program for this year in our studios, I was, I was just on, on the, that exact same page. The amount of super simple things we have to share with our students that they would never realize unless they found the proper guidance. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that, Francisco. I think um, this whole idea of, of having an external reference, having an observer, an observer over time, and then um, with this teacher observer, for them to be using language to help guide the student to leverage inside of themselves to free up this natural he healing process is, um, I, I mean, the, the things that come up for me is, um, and, and comparing it to my acupuncture practice, right? Mm -hmm. is um, the process of getting there faster when they are leveraging their own body. Mm -hmm. um, the result, in my experience, tends to be a little bit better. And the, the long-lasting effect, that's the piece that... Um, Kristen, it's... <sighs> And there is another component that sort of blends with the, these two things or three things you just mentioned. We are social creatures. Even the most introverted of us, that is probably me when I'm not teaching, uh, even those creatures, they are social entities. We are, as humans, social beings. Human interaction is what uh, really creates for us the sense of community and the, the sense of safety uh, and so many other things. So relying on another human being, mainly from my perspective, relying on that person uh, with this teacher-student relationship is tremendously fulfilling. And it boosts up everything. That is exactly the factor that allows the student to learn, as we always try to teach them, how to operate in a parasympathetic mode even when performing mm -hmm. some sort of effort or action. Mm -hmm. So having them in, some, in this 
place of uh, restoration and nourishment inside, even when acting and moving. I think this is, this is not doable if you don't have a person guiding you. I've just thinking of some, some topics that we've gotten into in teacher trainings and, and just talking, like the difference between guiding and, and, and fixing. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think newer teachers mm -hmm. want to have that mindset that they need to fix things rather than sort of dissolving that out a little bit and guide the process. Um, and another interesting one, um, which is a teacher isn't controlling, they're just influencing um, the, the process. And I think coming back to the very beginning, having a, a practice that is your, your um, a body work on yourself sort of practice is that eventually we wanna educate the nervous systems, the bodies and, and the minds in a way. So this kind of process is just happening on its own because all these productive patterns have been established um, that are for most of us, not what we're, those patterns aren't baked in to us. So um, as a teacher, this idea of not having to fix anything and not having to control anything is the, the more I resonate and, and have that in my bones, the more it's just a joy to practice. And, and it becomes easier because it's like, it, it's not me. I'm sort of um, have a certain set of logic that I'm applying um, and the method sort of just flows and, and happens. Um, and just this mindset, it, it's just, it's a delight to be in that mode because the other, the other ways are just so much more stressful and um, don't deliver results um, in this realm and in, in the yoga realm. Yeah, I think they might deliver strong sensations. Sometimes the powerful sense of well-being, but very often it isn't sustainable in the long run. And I, and I would say there is a perfect version of every single pose, but it isn't a place. It's a direction. It's a direction you take them. Oh, in a sense, you never get there. It's not a overwhelming, overly demanding type of perfection. It's just sort of a north. It's a direction you take. So having that in mind, it, nothing really matters. Uh, there is no perfect position, but there is a ideal direction you're moving into it. Now, how about a perfect mindset in this moment i think that's one of the the things we educate on like how do we listen to our bodies in practice to be able to optimize and keep things sustainable so in my mind i want to perfect that attitude or have a perfect attitude in this moment that 
just gets more refined over time. Um, so I, I guess it's depending on the context of the perfection, right? I think, Francisco, you're talking about more. That uh, sounded very much like me. Because everything <laughs> depends on the context. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know the ha, ha, as you were describing it, the the perfect biomechanical and nervous system impact of a pose is one thing, kind of unattainable, but a direction. Yet I could be working in. Um, with my body today that I need a chair and Sukhasana and that's perfect in its own regard. Remember that, that, that sequence I just saw it today, the one on Yoga Journal? Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the baby step into Sukhasana with the straight leg. I remember. That's pretty cool. <laughs> When was that? When was that article? Is that a couple years ago now? I think it was last year. Last year, wasn't it? I, I think it was uh, fall twenty twenty, maybe. I could be wrong, but in the last thought, eighteen months or so. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit over a year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Kristen, what else do you bring to this table? <laughs> Well, I want to find out a little bit more about you, Francisco. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, the direction that I went in terms of my family and stuff growing up, like I, I'm the black sheep, right? I grew up in a very um, traditional American family um, in terms of medicine, very... Uh, conventional antibiotics, you know, pretty, very conventional, but I know you, your situation is a little bit different, wasn't it? I mean, your dad, tell us about all that. My dad, when did you talk to my dad? Well, I didn't talk to your dad. All I know (laughs) is from you and Javi is that he does all this stuff. (laughs) That's all All I know. Well, in fact, (laughs) It, the, the story is a little bit different because my dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. And actually, my dad trained in the States back in the 60s. Uh, trained with some police departments and FBI and that. Mm-hmm. So then he came back to Brazil maybe two or three years before I was born. And he was very much involved with the... Brazil was under military rule. And he was very much into the the core of it uh, in many ways, despite of being young at the time. Then he came to evolve in that career as a... I don't know what the, the, the word in English, colonel, cor- colonel, a colonel. Colonel, yeah. And in my, and he was also a teacher. He was a, uh, he used to teach in the military school mathematics, and also for the more, uh, I don't know, like I don't know, maybe uh, type of police or FBI academy 
in then in that particular area he used to teach very technical stuff uh i don't know police stuff and uh and my mom was a teacher she teaches she used to teach uh history and geography she was a lawyer as well but never worked as a lawyer just as a teacher uh not just but mainly as a teacher and and then i decided to go for the yoga thing so i quit college i was two years into it and i've stopped my dad freaked out for one particular reason he was in the military still and he thought i would join a sect and i would be some sort of uh uh Hare krishna <laughs> that was my dad's most terrifying nightmare <laughs> so he thought i would be joining that particular uh was that your was that ever. your intention the harry krishna no it was not it okay. was not and i've never in my mind yoga and that and the Hare krishnas i used to see on the street they didn't have much in common mm. uh-huh. but for him in his uh <laughs> imagination they were the same so he was seeing me in a orange robe uh <laughs> selling incense on the streets in brazil and having all that outfit and chanting and, and that So that was his vision and his fear. My mom had similar fear. On top of that, I, probably today, they would say my mom was not probably. She was super, super judgmental, like beyond imagination. So mm-hmm. Her fear was that I would be gay and for her that was the problem and that would be a reason to fear. Uh-huh. Uh, fortunately, now we don't raise our kids in that way. We mm-hmm. just want them to be happy. But that, so both of them were afraid of very significant things in their inner worlds. Mm-hmm. So me moving into the yoga field was the reason why they both freaked out but him with his background he have decided to join the training with me just to be sure that i would be safe <laughs> so this was his way of protecting you he was going to join yes, the training yes. well i was taking two trainings at once one in massage mm-hmm. and one in yoga both in the same school mm. so he joined the one on massage yoga would be a little bit too much for him so he backed <laughs> off from that but found a way to be in that same school to have an eye on everything so that was pretty calming for my mom and for himself but then once he joined the training in massage 
he fell in love with the idea of massage. <laughs> and uh, maybe one or two years after finishing that training, I was already opening my studio and he was coming to retirement. He was super healthy, super young. And, uh, and he decided to really move into the field of massage. He went to the States, took a massage training in the um, in US, in Utah. Great school at that time. And then we eventually ended up opening a, a therapeutic massage clinic together. So the actual path so you guys, this field was very different, Kristen. Yeah, so you guys kind of, by chance, ended up exploring this all at the same time. And then massage, and then polarity, and then chiropractic. And then we went to the same chiropractic school because he went back to school. And... Uh, and then just recently he finished his 80, he's turning 83 this year. And he just finished a PhD on uh, homeopathy. Oh, wow. Very different guy nowadays. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And we've been actually uh, considering to, to design a natural healing arts program together we were just talking about that last week I, I i was thinking this whole time how did francisco's father influence him in the body work realm but it was the oh. other way around it was exactly <laughs> the other way around that's and what i was exactly thinking too i was like okay so like what kind of elements how did this all blend together no no one <laughs> none zero so, but now it's it's two ways do you guys learn from each other now or do you because it sounds like you're gonna you want to create a program so yeah uh i i i, rem I actually remember the first time i blew his mind <laughs> yeah i do remember that and actually in that particular night evening dinner time was a turning point in our relationship. Oh, let's hear this. Yeah. So he was uh, talking about sacrum and talking about the sacrum position, balance, equilibrium, the relationship between the sacrum and the iliac crests and, uh, or the iliacus. And, and he came with all this long, 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 long conversation. And I said, Dan, I really think you're wrong. <laughs> and he was like, I can't be wrong. I just saw the line in his brain. He was almost saying, you know, like in a little balloon. Uh, no, I'm saying everything that is written in every single chiropractic book ever on this planet. This is right. And then I said, no, I don't think it's right because I think the fact that people keep trying to fix the sacrum is the very reason why most people have chronic pain. I don't think this 
particular piece of our anatomy should be uh, perfectly aligned. I think it was designed to rotate and to tilt and to, uh, and to be always accommodating with our pelvises. And that is like a major buffer between traumatic events and our biomechanics. So I believe being uneven in our pelvises is one of our main marks of functionality as a species. And he was so absolutely so quiet. Then mm -hmm. he didn't speak anything at all, finished dinner, got one of my books from my shelf and left. And we didn't talk for maybe months. But then after that, our relationship just got better and better. When was this? When was this? Like how, like... Maybe three years ago. He, no, he was, he was 79. So this is like he has studied, he has been practicing, he has mm -hmm. been in the, the body work field for a very long time. Almost 30 years. Wow. I mean, I would even say hearing you just retell the story just now and the sacrum being a buffer, this is kind of, this is different. This is not talked about very much. Yeah, the sacrum, the, the pelvis overall, but the main, um, the main device that creates that buffer effect is the sacrum. Mm -hmm. And uh and I think I've talked about that in class for you in training, but maybe not in this exact same way. I'm going to uh, say no. <laughs> I believe you were off at Coyote Yoga Boulder teaching. For well, that could be, that could be true. <laughs> that could be true. So I might have missed it. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you, you, you were providing education for your guys. Uh, <laughs> So that, and that was the beginning of something. So since then, we've been evolving and evolving. And, uh, and he has a great library, but he was always like that. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and his connection with, with uh, health was always strong. So always various magazines, uh, around the house on health, nutrition, exercises. I've never mm. seen him leaving the house at least two or three times a week without having his running shoes with him. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. super good. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of I'm curious to follow up on, um, on two pieces there. One, I really like this term buffer and thinking about the sacrum in that way. I'm kind of curious if, if you feel like there's other areas in the body that have that same um, quality, a similar quality to that. For major structure, uh, sexual traumatic events, I don't know if anything will work in that exact, exact way. Uh, definitely we can, we can sort of discharge 
emotions and tension in various different areas. But with the sacrum, I have the sense that it, it is more complex. It's more like a buffer. Mm -hmm. it, it, and it changes and it adapts and it uh, allows the system to keep moving and being pain-free for quite a while unless it's not doable, unless it was too much, then pain kicks in. And when you say mm -hmm. buffer, are you meaning it buffers energy transfer and disperses it kind of thing, or it holds it within itself? In a sense, it, it, it holds out and absorbs and, and um, filters down, sort of protecting the rest of the structure as much as doable, as much mm -hmm. as possible. Very often, it's not possible to be uh, to filter at a hundred percent. But I think that is one of the main functions. It's one of the main reasons why you can, you know, break one leg or two legs as a child and just grow up normal. Yes, we all know eventually in our more adult years, we will have to deal with the consequences of those fractures. And the sacrum was there for you not to deal with, with it, sometimes for decades. Then that goes back to our point on adaptability and the childlike mobility. Because the longer we keep that, we preserve that, or we restore that, the longer we will have the sacrum operating with this level of fluidity that will be allowing ourselves and our lives to be normal and pain-free. And then depending on the level of adaptability you lose, uh, you are no longer pain-free, but that is now your normal. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the other piece that this conversation brings up for me, if we backtrack to like when you blew your, your papa's mind open, <laughs> is that, you know, even as alternative body workers were presented concepts and we might even pass on concepts to our, our patients or our clients that might not be accurate. We often do. I and then just, that's, uh, go ahead. I, I've trained this team and they work you remember we've filmed some of these episodes in that spa place mm -hmm. and they're awesome so i've trained six people from their team seven actually and they're rotating each one of them is teaching for a week so group one group two group three and all the classes in order but they teach just for a week uh and they've been presenting a great job uh at the very beginning, they were on average teaching five, four or five students a day. Now they're on average week eight, they're teaching 10 people a day on average, which is a lot to a place where people will be always rotating. Mm -hmm. And one of these uh, guests just came to me 
saying, hey, I've had these classes. I'd like to have classes here. I'm in Sao Paulo. I have this and this and that. And she was 36, chronic sciatic, chronic neck pain, sometimes on average at the level three or four, three or four, sometimes spiking all the, the way up to 10 in both areas. And I said, you know, it's just 36. I don't really have as that many teachers around here to suggest. And the method was not designed for you to take classes alone. And if that was working and if those teachers you've been keeping inside of her pocket were great, you would be pain-free by now. So that didn't happen, but somehow you were reaching out to me after this week, which means somehow the impact was positive. So I suggest you to join these classes or take the training because you need to have some understanding. Even to take classes, you have mm -hmm. to know a little bit more about this. Otherwise, you will never get any better. So it's crazy. It's very, very crazy, but she's 36, lots of chronic pain, uh, low back, pelvis, and neck. And she was randomly exposed to the method and just a random exposition was enough for her to feel better. Hmm. So we often don't really acknowledge the fact that the, 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 the proper stimuli might create a very positive ripple effect that, as you've said at the very beginning, could be lasting for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to take this and, because I still want to know more from you, Kristen, and the, the, the things that you might see commonalities with and and mm. as you were just talking Francisco I just thought well yeah we're harnessing nature and that and correct me if I'm wrong Kristen it seems like a lot of the eastern modalities uh is that has that same sort of foundation perhaps Oh, look, <laughs> Francisco's <laughs> going to answer. <laughs> Go no, ahead. I'll, I'll ju I'm just saving Kristen. We'll be back to Kristen in a second. <laughs> but that's, that's very true, Craig. When you say nature, so the main landmark of our humanity in social development was a uh, femur bone fracture healed. So we noticed really robust proof that our society was evolving when for the first time we found a femur bone broken. I don't know, let's say at the age of 20 healed and then passing away at the age of 75. That was one of the main uh, proofs that from that period on, we were uh, existing at a totally different level as a society. 
because we were for the first time uh, caring for each other. And, and you're you're speaking of like a, a, a archaeological find from yeah. hundred thousand years ago or something. Exactly. Yeah. So for the first time, okay. Uh, Neolithic gym broke a femur bone and Neolithic Kristen took care of him. <laughs> so that happened. And that is a major finding in our understanding of our history and development. But until that day, or except for that, how many major injuries we were dealing with on a regular basis. Living highly exposed to nature, to the weather, to the snow, to the wind, to the cold, to all sorts of different uh, environments and types of stimuli. So all that was happening on a regular basis. We were jumping, running, falling, experiencing ankle, major ankle sprains, minor fractures, but we kept driving. And yes, many of us did not, but the fact is many, many archeological findings, they prove that those people were living quite for quite a while. That means everything that happens with your body, all types of accidents you can face that are not killing you, you have to adapt to. If you have to adapt to the process of that adaptation, it passes through, it filters out through your sacrum. This is why for me, going back to that same point, the sacrum is so important in terms of being this uh, adaptability device. Because we were highly adaptable. We were living very long. But nobody have ever said that those people living very long with no degenerated vertebrae in their backs didn't have accidents and fractures in their lives. How come? that they were able to face all that and live to a very old age, not having herniated discs, for example. And now, Kristen. <laughs> um. You can probably see in the background a shape kind of going in and out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Never a dull moment here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Craig, I think when, I think this piece about being able to care for each other and the more formal development of different methodologies of doing that is, is interesting. And I think like one of the things 
one of the things that really encouraged me in terms of, you know, transitioning more and more and more of my uh, personal practice clients, so like my acupuncture practice towards Kayut yoga, was some of this overlap in in theory. And, that, and then the ability for them to be able to access that in their own body. So there, there are some things that kind of intersect. So Francisco often uses this phrase when he teaches, and, and I love it when he does. He talks about the nature inside of us. And I think in, in Boulder, we often refer to that as like the body's natural healing intelligence. Like we'll hear a chiropractor or an acupuncturist or somebody saying that to us. Like I'm using cranial sacral therapy to activate the healing potential inside or something like that. And in, um, in Chinese medicine, we reference that all the time. Like every, so there's 12 meridians, every, organ system has an element associated to that. So for us in that, in that realm, nature is not only out there, but it's also inside. And I remember when Francisco, um, kind of one of the first classes that I heard him bring that up, I, I remember like about half of the class being like, dude, what are you talking about? Do you remember this, Craig? I think you were there too. Perhaps. I, was it at um, like Nebi Kodesh or was it in a like training? I think it was at Neve Kodesh. I mean, there are certain times, Francisco, where like different, you bring in different elements to start um, being a little bit more provocative or challenging us on a different way. I remember that. I remember that for sure. What did I say? Come on, come on. You just said, you just exactly started talking this. about nature inside. And like, it was blowing everybody in Boulder's mind because we were all like, what are you, you know, like, isn't that the tree out there? <laughs> you know, like everybody was kind of like, well, that's why I go running or that's why I go biking or that's why I go hiking or whatever. And not relating that to the nature inside. And there was also kind of this one moment that, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, it tends to be a little bit more poetic. And I think that it's almost a little bit more challenging to reference. Um, because we talk about the wood element or the fire element or the water element. Um, and even with that background, I don't necessarily associate it with that term nature. So it was just an interesting concept to bring up at that moment. Yeah, that just reminds me again, I, I'm always fascinated with the impacts of society on us and, and culture. And I just wrote down here, like culture and society may enhance the separation between us and nature and between our bodies and our minds. Like that it's clear with newer students and even myself, like that it's so ingrained. And I think a lot of what the Kayit method does is 
narrow down that separation. Um, yeah, and for I think what you both are saying, and I think what um, clarifies that point a little bit, Kristen, is exactly what Craig is saying now. What closes the gap between like body and mind or us and nature or our inner nature is stress. Mm. Mm. We, Say more. We, we were designed to perform under pressure, to perform experiencing starvation, to perform uh, facing extreme cold, to perform uh, using our muscles beyond exhaustion. And now we know those mm. people like 200,000 years ago, they were physically speaking until their latest years, like ultra marathon athletes. Mm. That is the, the actual parallel to today's life. Although ultra marathon people today are highly specialized and our ancestors were not. They were capable of all that, but at the same time, they were capable of squatting forever and sleeping anywhere and having absolutely no uh, mobility issues, as we can see when analyzing uh, work and publications on archaeology, for example. So that is stress, positive stress stress, natural stress, positively and intelligently applied. And this is what I try to do with the method, how to translate that level of stress to today's lifestyle, how to translate that reality to Craig that doesn't face life under starvation and extreme cold, and that doesn't have to warm up the the family site uh, carrying big logs for fire. So today's Craig gets stressed out, unnaturally stressed out, but because of a tech world that he has to interact with on a regular basis. Uh, so he's very far away from the natural stress his genes were designed to enjoy enjoy and to feel as uh, performance boosters so how to do that how to apply the positive stress that craig's hips should be facing on daily basis now that craig has been growing up having his hips under no stress at all. And yes, sports are not that. Because mm -hmm. we've never uh, historically have performed well in life because we run or because we play football. This is a very brand new development. So if I disappear, it's another thunderstorm that is happening right now okay <laughs> just for you to know uh it, apparently it, uh 
reframe yoga and thunderstorms go very well together here in Brazil. <laughs> uh, so that was my main concern, Kristen. How to mm-hmm. how to uh, recover Craig's ancestors, hips, mobility, availability, but knowing that even with his uh, college uh, football career or with the sports he used to enjoy, all his joints were, in comparison to those ancestors, highly underutilized. And therefore, even at his peak of athletic performance in college, every single joint of his body uh, carries a seed of fragility Mm -hmm. that has been implanted by the modern safety and comfort and lifestyle. So my, my peak athletic performance was the seed of fragility and the seed of my Kaiyut yoga life. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> Which it, I mean, it, it's just how the universe does these sort of things. You know, I began dislocating my knee playing hockey in my mid twenties, and that was the seed to eventually meet you, Francisco. The last time I dislocated my knee, you just happened to be in Boulder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I want to bring another word into this that you had mentioned earlier, Francisco, which is adaptability. Um, Mm -hmm. It's that positive stress environment, allowing the body to adapt, increasing that ability to adapt and closing the gap between ourselves. Yeah, because nowadays, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. your knee starts facing that, and I I will use one of those funny analogies that I love so much. Okay, so if you start noticing that something is not correct with your knee, and then your knee starts hurting like hell, what would you do if you were one of your ancestors? Nothing. Is this this (laughs) pre-community? No, you would do lots of stuff. Yeah. You would you'd have to do what you had to you'd do. Keep, you'd keep you doing, you'd keep climbing. Because right? if you don't squat, how do you take shit? <laughs> <laughs> Just super simple. But this goes back to our classes. Mm-hmm. Now we have this ultra comfortable environment. Mm-hmm. You go to this super high toilet. Mm-hmm. It's so high that you maybe can have one knee bent and one leg straight not to face that situation. Or you can dump your system with painkillers. You can be completely numb. And you continue being afraid. And that creates more of the separation between you and that knee. But a few thousand years of years ago, you would not have that option. Not the toilet or the painkillers. So you need that to keep using. 
you need uh, to reroute everything to find efficient compensatory routes. And if you survive, your knee will keep the functionality. So for me, this, that is a very intriguing aspect because you, you have seen this. It's, not, it's no longer my story. It's no longer me telling you that you have to find a way to recover the capacity of that student to be bending the knee. And if you do it intelligently, eventually the pain will dissipate and the functionality will be reestablished. And at this point, probably the two of you have seen that many times. Yeah, this is the fun part, right, Francisca? Because if we go back in that conversation where possibly maybe a doctor, or PT, or an acupuncturist, or a chiropractor, or a massage therapist put an idea in of like, do not. That's not I an just... idea. That's a sentence. <laughs> yeah, and a sentence. I actually just had this just recently where a student told me that. Their PT said, I don't want you to do any external or internal rotation of your thigh, essentially, for her hip. <laughs> so be and a robot. How do you walk like and that? Actually, right? not even a robot, because the new robots, they do that. They have external and internal <laughs> rotation in the hip. <laughs> right. So this, you know, one sentence, right, took, took 30 seconds to speak. And the student is now repeating it, right? Believes it. So then the fun part of my job is, okay, so how can I introduce that movement without them really realizing it and, and doing you know it what? in a way that's safe? And another question we have to make, and this is more provocative, and I don't meant to be disrespectful. It's just provocation because it's necessary, okay? How old is this PT person? Mm -hmm. How many times a situation just like yours was actually uh, managed by mm -hmm. this person? And what was the outcome? Have you met the person? What was the mm -hmm. positive result? Or this line is just a repetition of a line in a book. Yeah, those are, that's excellent questions. Yeah. Because it's like one in the same, the same spa place, Craig, this man came to me, 63 years old, uh, suggested double dip, a hip replacement. And he said, I want to play tennis and this hurts. And I said, okay, so it is hurting in your playing. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm playing, but hurts. Who did say you will take the replacements and this is not going to hurt. Have you seen a person playing tennis after a double hip replacement? No, I haven't. So I suggest you to go to a tennis court, find such a person and observe. Because if that is the game you want, just go for it. But you are basing a very important decision on facts that you haven't You just didn't. So you were absolutely blind. It's like this, 
this galaxy of yoga teachers teaching people how to be upside down. How many of them are over 60 and have no chronic pain? Herniated discs, surgeries, nervousness, neurological disorders, anxiety. But they keep saying inversions work. For whom? Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, one thing is to be upside down when you're in your 20s. And another thing is to move from your early 20s to your early 60s, assuming or pretending then that everything you've been harvesting does not anything to do with that little mistake. You've been repeating over and over again. Come on, it's anxiety, it's nervousness, it's stroke, it's disc stuff, it is uh, C1 imbalances that sometimes have no other support in the rest of the body or a traumatic event to justify. So no, 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 no. What have you seen? Have you seen this known, absolutely no rotation of the hip to work? Mm-hmm. How do you sleep? Do you wrap up your legs with <laughs> bands and keep them locked in that position? Because you know the, you un- the unfair thing there is that there is an assumption that the clinician or whoever's saying that has the same result that the patient has in mind. Yeah, right. I think that's so, what Francisco's really pointing out to be right. provocative and ask those questions, right? Because, and, and you've said this, Francisco, and I've learned this from you, we're trained to not feel or, or though you, they want to keep things safe and not being in pain. And so the assumption that not being in pain is having no problems. Uh And that is the very origin of the gap. Because we are training our systems not to feel and that feels right, which is insane. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) So your body is totally disconnected. You are uh, drugged in a sense, but assuming that this is correct. It's like, what? Hmm. This is the opposite of yoga. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we have people listening to us. I mean, your numbers, Kristen, those numbers you've shared with me, the numbers you've shared and Craig didn't, uh, <laughs> say that one more time Francisco yeah. <laughs> so great numbers right after the whole COVID thing pandemic slash COVID slash Omicron I mean mm-hmm. those are great numbers mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. numbers mm-hmm. really establishing a community that is really willing to listen because no one of our long-term students will buy this shit. No one of them will buy it. Mm-hmm. 
they just can't because they feel that things are different. They feel that the fact is they've been turning those hip joints outwards and inwards and outwards, and they've been overusing and demanding and pressing and positively stressing it out. And they felt their perineum back to work. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen with the sphincter and the perineum and the pelvic floor of a person that simply doesn't use the hip? Okay, now we don't have only that problem, but we will also have this problem and this problem and that problem. Like, it's, it's such a separation. It, that blows my mind. Yeah, and, and you know, again, piggy tailing on what you're saying, it's so new, right? Like it's only within a period of the last 200 years, you know, mm-hmm. like it's so new. A lot less than that. A lot less than that. I mean, we didn't have people coming up with this insane ideas until back in late, in the late 20s, mm. early 30s. That was the very beginning of this type of concept, this don't feel because not feeling is better and safer. Pharmaceutical companies? Yeah, I love them. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, uh, the value, they have a tremendous value that is unquestionable. I mean, See, there's stuff we can't explain. We can't explain uh, healthy families, young children, and cancer. We can't. We just can't. We have to go over a totally uh, philosophical, maybe spiritual, maybe possibility, but it's unreasonable. We just... For me, it's just, we can't explain that. So for those situations, we have very cool drugs that might create a much uh, less aggressive moment for those children and for those families. So in that particular situation, we are talking about level of pain and suffering. We cannot understand. I mean, seeing what I've seen with Javi when he was young, that is already insane. I would never try to assume that I understand what those people might face. So unquestionable, there is a value for that. Although we are seeing a whole population that is on the other opposite of the spectrum. A whole new population that after one year or 10 years using these, that, or all of those drugs haven't seen any last longing results. And when we just uh, share with them the possibility that rerouting it and facing a different level of perception might create a natural solution, they're open to that. 
when those drugs have been damaging their stomachs and their inflammatory levels, and when after all the drugs, they keep facing pain, or they eventually go to a new resource and they, and they listen that famous line, oh, that is fine. Keep using those drugs. This pain, now this is a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you keep saying, shut up, buddy, for 10 years, and you assume that now the de degeneration in that joint that is related has a totally different origin, and they blame on your genes for that? I mean, really, mm -hmm. come on. Mm -hmm. We can't be this. We can't have this amount of education and books if we are not willing to think about this. So those people, very often, they come to us and they immediately get it, just as your students. Mm -hmm. They immediately understand, wow, this makes sense. Yes, those classes with Craig, I feel like dying because I have so much pain in my hips. But then I leave the class, I go home, I hike for a weekend, and I have no back pain. This is the line we listen over and over again. And once you deliver that type of result consistently, those people, they stop buying this common version of reality. Indeed. Definitely <laughs> true, definitely true. What else do we have for today in our uh, longest podcast ever <laughs> so far? Well, I think the funny thing about talking with you, Francisco, is it it never goes the way you thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were Elisa, probably that line would create a very different outcome. <laughs> so sweet seeing you guys. Very nice, very nice. Uh, this uh, project with Craig has been absolutely great. Yeah, it's super yeah. cool what you guys are doing. Super cool. Yeah. Well, thank and you. We That's fun. we actually have fun. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You too. Well, no way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I, I love that we can share this stuff with folks and um you know each time. We talk about it it just and i say this you know things are deeper in my bones uh and it you know helps me in my life and and my teachings talking to you as well francisco so thanks for that and i enjoy it and kristen yeah. and larissa larissa she's going to contact the two of you and darvin and our people uh and she will schedule a call when I will be explaining to you what uh, I think we have to, we, we should be doing now with our students and what is the sort of a checklist, like a mm -hmm. bullet point uh, journal per student, just to be sure that we've been covering some content with them. Mm -hmm. Stuff that our students really need to comprehend not only to be better students, but to, to enjoy more and to take a level, a good level of ownership of the, the process of practicing. 
Looking forward to it. That sounds neat. Yeah. Very simple, very effective as always, hopefully. <laughs> uh, good seeing you both. Likewise, thank you very much. Thank you, Kristen, for coming. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for another one, Craig. My pleasure. Thank you. See you next Bye -bye. time. Take care.